Well, hey everyone, thanks for checking out this message from Journey Church. These resources are so awesome to have when you're out in nature like we are and you gotta go be outside on these nice days. However, we want you to know that there is nothing better than true fellowship with believers and live worship with your fellow Christians. So be sure to use this message only in conjunction with getting fed in a community of believers. Hey, we also want you to get connected with us, so be sure to text the word CONNECT to 307-271-9160 so that you can stay in the loop with everything happening at Journey Church and get notifications about upcoming events. Hey, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you as you continue this life on your walk with Jesus. Well, thank you for joining us today. It is great to see all of you out here, part of this uh, service today. A couple, or one other reminder that I wanted to give you all uh, is that this is fall break week for the kids. They get out on uh, early release on Wednesday, then they're off on Thursday and Friday, so it's a four and a half kind of day weekend for them. Because of that, we don't have any um, kids activities this week, so there's no Wednesday night youth group or uh, kids ministries this week. So just so you're aware of that, uh, that there's not going to be any of that this week. All right. If you have a Bible, turn it to Ephesians chapter 6. And if this is your first time here, let me tell you where we're at. We're almost at the end of the book of Ephesians. We have been studying this for almost a year now, where we have been looking through the letter that Paul wrote to the church that was in Ephesus, which is a place in modern-day Turkey. And uh, that church in Ephesus, Paul was writing to them to encourage them to sit, to walk, and to stand. The sitting and the walking and the standing is really about your relationship. First, I learned to sit and receive and hear from God who he has created me to be. Understanding that I'm forgiven, that I have an identity in him, that he has, uh, that he has, is wanting me to rest in him. Then I learned to walk. How do I live this life out? How do I walk through life? And then finally, it is learning how to stand against the spiritual attacks that we are all under, the attacks that the enemy brings our way. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6 here today again as we read through. This is part 5 of our series where we have been talking or the like mini series where we've been talking about standing in the spiritual warfare. Here's what the word of God says. Paul writes these words. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, uh, power, put on the full armor of God so that you're able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I want to point out these words, put on. Why do I point that out? Well, it's because this is our job. This is our part in the process. It doesn't just happen magically. It is something that we have to actively make the decision that I will put on in a figurative way the armor of God. Why do I put that on? Well, so that I can stand against the schemes of the devil. The word schemes is methodia in the Greek. And some have asked, well, why do I refer to the Greek? Well, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, the Old Testament in Hebrew. So to truly understand, it takes going back at times and understanding the words that were given. So you put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the methodia, the 
plan, the method that Satan is trying to employ in this world. For our struggle is not against our next door neighbor. It's not against the politicians. It's not against Hollywood. Our struggle is against the rulers, against the powers, against the worldly forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So our real battle is against the behind the scenes group that is bringing the attack, the spiritual battle that is happening. Paul says, therefore, take up the full armor of God. So here's another one of those action words. We just saw put on. Now we have take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist. Nobody's going to do it for you. You have to purposefully put on and take up the army or the full armor so that you can resist when the times are evil. And after you have done everything to stand firm, stand firm then. Buckle the belt of truth. There's another word. Buckle the belt of truth around your waist. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Strap up your feet in readiness with the good news of shalom. Now, again, all of these words are active words that I have to do. I've got to put on, take up, buckle, strap up, get ready for the battle. Nobody can fit the armor for you. It's something that I have to actively do. Paul says, then above all, take up, there's another one of the words, take up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit on every occasion with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind, keep alert with perseverance and supplication for all of the saints, the Kedoshim. So you can see in all of this that there's an active role and an active step that I have and that you have in fighting the battle. Put up, take on, take up, pray in, keep alert, strap up, get everything ready to go so that I can fight this fight. You can't just sit and wallow in and expect good things to happen. I have an active job and an active role that I need to play in this process. I may not feel like it, may not want to do it, but this is my job. Well, Paul finally says then, and pray for me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the good news for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may speak boldly the way I should. This is part five, where we have been learning to stand spiritual warfare. This is the final part. And then next week, we are going to be wrapping up all of our study of Ephesians. In particular, what we have been looking at the last three to four parts of this is what is the enemy trying to accomplish? And today, I want to give you a metaphor, a visual image that you can understand how Satan is after you. Let's pray as we begin. Father God, please, I don't want these to be my words. I want them to be yours. Please, Lord, speak to our hearts. We need to hear from you. We are in a battle. Some are in a battle for their lives. Some are in a, in a battle for their marriage right now. Some are in a battle for their family. We are in a battle for our nation. We are in a battle for our culture. We are in a battle for this world. Lord, the enemy is active, working overtime to bring about destruction. 
but you have desired that none should perish, but all should find you. All should be saved through Jesus himself. I pray, Lord, that you would show us today how Satan is working and how he is trying to accomplish his goal in this world. Thank you, Father, for your protection. Thank you for your word. Help us to stand firm in it as we study it today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's recap. What is, what is Satan trying to do? Well, Jesus gives us the clue. John chapter 10, when he says this, the thief comes only to steal, slaughter, and destroy. I have come, Jesus says, that they might have life and have it abundantly. If you come to me, he says, you'll be saved. But the thief doesn't do that. He comes so that he can steal he wants to slaughter and he wants to destroy. This is his ultimate goal. Satan is not God. He does not have the power that God has. He does not have the authority. He is a created being. He cannot be ever present like God is. God is omnipresent. Satan cannot be that. He is not all powerful. So the only thing he can accomplish and try to do is to hurt the heart of God by drawing the people away from God that God so desperately loves. He died for humanity. He wants all of humanity to be saved. But Satan hates God and wants to pull humanity away from who God is so that people perish in hell for eternity. He has come so that he might steal. That's klepto in the Greek, to take away. He has come to slaughter. That means to sacrifice, to slay, to kill. And he has come to destroy. That means to abolish, to put on into, to wipe off the face of the planet. He wants to make sure that people die apart from God. And if he does that, he has accomplished his goal and what he has set out to do. How does he do that? Well, I want to show you today out of the book of James, along with the rest of the spiritual armor, how he is trying to accomplish this. And this is going to make sense. And it's going to be a metaphor that many of you can really relate to here today. Let's look at it together. It's in the book of James, James chapter one, verses 13 through 16. And I want to define some words. And then I want to put this visual picture together for you. James writes this. He says, let no one say when he is tempted. Now, I want to just to stop right there. The word tempted, the word tried, the word tested are all the same word in the Greek. So you could really substitute those words. Let no one say when he is tested, when he is tempted, when he is tried. I am being tested, tempted, tried by God. For God cannot be tempted or tried or tested by evil. And God himself does this to no one. God does not test you. He's not trying you. He is not tempting you with evil. Instead, each one is tempted, tested, tried when he is dragged away and enticed by his own desire. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is full grown, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived. This is the warning. My dear brothers and sisters, let me give you the words I want to define. I want to define these words for you. Dragged away, enticed, own, 
desire. Let's talk about what those words mean because they paint a visual picture that we need to really comprehend. As I put the words together, it's going to be a picture for you that you're going to be able to remember and to hold on to as you're going through the battle of life. Start with the word own. I'm going to start kind of at the end of that sentence. And let's just look at the word own. What is the word own? Well, the word own in the Greek language is the word idios. Now, when you hear the word idios, you may think the word idiot. Well, an idiot is what we are at times, but idios is the word that means idiosyncrasy. It's where we get our word idiosyncrasy. Do you know what an idiosyncrasy is? Idiosyncrasy is idiosyncrasy is a uniqueness. It is a characteristic that is unique. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a mannerism or something that is just peculiar to an individual. You are all, we are all unique. We are all peculiar. We're all a little bit strange. Some of you are stranger than others among us here. I'm sorry, did I point? I didn't mean to point. That's rude. Some are stranger, I'm not pointing, I'm just waving, than others in this room. Let me give you some examples. Idiosyncrasies. How many of you like weird concoctions of food together that if you just shared that with other people, they would think you are just weird. You are bizarre. My grandfather, I remember going to his house when I was a little boy, and he loved those long green onions, and he loved to dip them in peanut butter peanut butter and green onion. And I would eat that as a kid because I was over at his house. And even today, I've not eaten that in years, but I can still remember the taste. And I could, I liked it. Green onions and peanut butter. I'm sure some of you have some strange food concoctions like that, that if other people heard it, they would say, that is really weird. <laughs> that is bizarre. Some of you have mannerisms that are just peculiar. Mannerisms. Some of you have trains of thought that are peculiar, unique. It's a characteristic of you. Some of you have an organizational process that is borderline just anal in the way that you approach things in life. And if you don't do it exactly a certain way, everything else is a mess. It's just all out of whack. And you've got these certain peculiars. And other people look at you and think, that's just, okay, that's a little out there. That's just a little weird. That's what the word own means. It means uniqueness, peculiar to you. It is yours. It's nobody else's. It is you. It describes you. That's the word own. Let me talk about the word desire. What is desire? Well, the word desire is the Greek word epithemia, and it's the word that means lust, desire, craving, mostly of evil desires. There is a desire, a desire, a lust. It is something that's consuming me. In the book of 1 John, John describes these three things, these, this desire with three things. John describes it this way. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world... Look at the word, the desire. Now, that was the same word over here 
the desire, your own desire. For the desire of the flesh, that's of the world, the desire of the eyes, that's of the world, and the boasting of life. It's not from the Father. This is of the world. Satan is called the ruler of this world. This is Satan's mode of operation, the desire of the flesh. What is the desire of the flesh? Well, the word desire is lust, strong craving for that which is evil. The desire of the flesh is anything for your flesh that would make your flesh feel good, which could be things like lust, anger, wrath, Gluttony, drugs, alcohol, all of that is fleshly in nature. And so the desire of those things is what Satan is using. Did you know that all sin falls within those three categories? Every one of them. The desire of the eyes. The eyes are the things you can see, which is where materialism and greed and coveting and envy and jealousy, it all stems out of the desire of the eyes. It's what I can see and I have to have this. And then there is the boasting of life. That is pride, a selfish Self-centered, self-focused, narcissistic, blaming, unteachable, unrepentant, excessive view of one's self without regard for others. That's where that is driven out of. So that's what the word desire means. Go back to James. His own desire. Or another way to say that is this. A uniqueness... That becomes a lust, a unique, unique craving, a unique lust, a unique strong desire. Okay? Let's define a couple more words. That's own, idios, unique, desire, that is lust, desire, craving, dragged away and enticed. Let's talk about those two words. The word dragged away, <clears throat> I want you to notice this because I, I, I love this Greek word because in the Greek word, it gives us the clue of what's going on. Not by intention, by accident. The word for dragged away, and I'll write it down, it's exelco. Okay? In this word, if you can read my writing, okay, E-X-E-L-K-O, in the word, to me, is the clue of what dragged away is, and it's the word elk. How many of you love to hunt? You're hunters. You love to hunt. And right now, maybe you're in the process of thinking about elk hunting. Maybe you've been going elk hunting. Maybe you want to go elk hunting. Maybe you've been hunting and not succeeding in your process. You're after the elusive elk. Well, the word dragged away is a hunting term. By accident, this word elk is in it, but it gives us the clue. The word dragged away means drawn away. It means lured away from safety, as in hunting or fishing. You are luring the game out into the open, drawing it from safety. That's what dragged away means. If you ever go 
elk hunting, for example, you may use different things, different methods to try to lure. Maybe you're bugling. Maybe you're covering yourself in elk urine for some reason. I don't know. Maybe you're doing that. And your purpose is to be stealthy in order for that elk to let down its guard so it walks into the open so that you can shoot and kill and have elk. The word enticed, deliazo, and it means to catch by the use of a bait. So you could think of it this way. You could think of it as hunting, luring, using a bait, or you can think of it in the metaphor of fishing, because fishing is another example that is being used here. So I have, I have here today my handy little, my little fishing rod, and I want you to picture this metaphor with me. That you are a fish, and you're swimming under the surface, and you're enjoying your fish life, and life is good as a fish, and some of you are uh, small, young, you haven't grown old yet, some of you are old and wiser, and you've been swimming around for a little bit longer, and you're... You're a fish, and you're swimming around underwater. And then all of a sudden, a boat comes floating over the top. And as the boat comes floating over the top, all of a sudden, a fisherman casts. And all of a sudden, in front of you, plops down a bait, a lure. And the lure is just hanging there. And the lure looks enticing. And the lure looks appetizing. And the lure is something that I am really drawn to. Like, I am really excited about this lure. And you come up and you observe it. And all of a sudden you think, well, that looks good. That couldn't possibly hurt me. That couldn't be bad. Wow, that looks fantastic. And you bite. And then all of a sudden a hook gets set into your mouth. And you find yourself being reeled into the surface. And all of a sudden, then you find yourself flopping around on the deck of a boat, out of your natural element. Well, that's exactly what is being described, that Satan is out there, and he is fishing for you. What is he using as the bait? Well, he is using something that is unique to you, a craving that is your own uniqueness. What could that possibly be? Well, not everybody's bait is the same. If you've ever been out fishing, you'll know that sometimes the fish just aren't biting. And so you go out fishing, and if the fish aren't biting, you're going to change your tactic. Maybe at first you were casting. And you were casting, maybe you, had a, you were using a jig, and maybe you were using a minnow. Maybe you switched it up from a minnow to a leech. Maybe you switched it up from a leech to a nightcrawler. Maybe instead of casting, you just decided, okay, I'm just going to let it hang off the bottom and just let it sit there. Or maybe at a time, you're going to put it on a bobber and just wait away from it and hope that a fish just bites on it. Maybe you'll start trolling and use a bottom bouncer with a nightcrawler hanging off the back of it, and you're going kind of fast as you're trolling, all of it is designed so that you are changing up the tactics to make that bait look alluring to the fish that you're fishing for. What does Satan use for you? Well, he uses something unique for you. For you, it may be alcohol. That may be your thing. 
And it's like, I can't not drink. I can't stop drinking. I keep biting on this. I can't quit. And Satan knows to use that to fish for you. Maybe you've gotten yourself free from it. Maybe it's not a problem anymore, so you think. But then he changes up the strategy. Instead of just throwing it out there in front of your face, now he trolls by you at a time that you're the most vulnerable and the weakest and the loneliest and the most apathetic in life, and you bite this time. Maybe it's not alcohol. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's gambling. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it is greed. Maybe it is envy. Maybe it's anger, wrath. Whatever it is, Satan has knowledge of the unique things that you will bite on. And he will fish for you for that. And he will drag you away by use of a lure and entice you to catch you by the use of a bait. And he's not using some general tactic. He's using things targeted directly at you. It is your own desire, your own craving, your own lust. And he's fishing for you. And his goal is not because he just thinks you're so wonderful and he wants to give you food and this will be wonderful for you. No, his goal is to hook you, to reel you in, to throw you on the deck of the boat and then fillet you. That's his goal. That's what Satan is after. He is not your friend. He is not there for your benefit. He is there to steal, slaughter, and destroy. How will he do that? Well, he will begin to fish for me, hunt for me. He'll drag me away and entice me by using a bait at the most vulnerable time that is according to my own desires. So it's important to know yourself. What are your desires? What are your cravings? What is it that you are prone to? Your area of uniqueness that God wants to heal, but Satan wants to use to destroy. And that's how he's working. So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the desires of those things are the things that we need to understand. Well, that metaphor, that analogy, I want you to have that in the back of your mind as you go about life, understanding that that's what Satan is trying to accomplish. And I'm just playing into it. I'm just biting. Instead of being discerning, instead of being knowledgeable, instead of really leaning into God, I just bite every time it, flights, uh, it floats by because it just looks good. Well, some of the tactics that he has used is what we have covered in the armor. First weapon he used that he's fishing with, he'll give you a lie. If you just bite on this, it will fill you up. If you just bite on this, it will taste so good. If you just bite on this, it'll just be wonderful. And so you bite. And all of a sudden you find you've got a hook in your mouth. And it's really wedged in there. And I need God somehow to set it free. And lies is the thing that we hang on to. Lies about God, lies about others, lies about ourselves. So God says, put on truth. Put the belt of truth. Buckle it around your waist. If you don't have truth, you can't know what's a lie. How does a fish know what's good and what is bad? I mean, I see this wire coming down from the surface to this lure. It's got to be fine. I mean, there can't be a problem with that. 
No, I understand in my fish brain that that's bad. I understand the truth. The truth is it's bad. Stay away. Second thing he uses, second weapon is pride. Pride is, well, I don't need God to show me anything. I can do it myself. I am self-reliant. I can fix it all myself. Well, that's a problem. And if I approach it as a fish at a bait and I'm full of pride, ah, this can't possibly hurt me. I know better than anybody else does. Other fish may be even warning me, saying, hey, 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 uh, Bob, don't bite on that. Don't do that. No, I know. I know better than you know. That's pride. Arrogance. Self-centeredness. Self-reliance. A third weapon. Discontentment. What is discontentment? Well, that is, I'm just not content as a fish. I mean, I'm floating around. I've got this big body of water. There's minnows that I can eat anytime that I want. I want something different. I want some, I want not this fish anymore. I want a hamburger and fries. I'm so sick of fish. I'm, I'm sick of eating minnows. I'm discontent. I need something better. And so I do that. Discontentment, a feeling of emptiness, purposeless, meaningless. We looked at that. The fourth weapon he uses is doubt, disbelief. Well, okay, I know God said don't eat from that. Don't eat that, that lure that is there, but I don't believe you, God. Come on. It can't be that bad. And I have doubt and disbelief. Final two. Here they go. Here's what Paul writes. And take the helmet of salvation. What is the helmet? Well, the helmet covers. A helmet protects. It keeps me safe. The helmet is the helmet of, as Paul says, he says, it is the helmet of salvation. I am saved. I have to take salvation upon me and walk in that salvation. What does it mean to be saved? Well, salvation is that I believe you, God, I believe this is the way that I am saved, and I'm not going to walk around doubting it anymore. The weapon, I believe, and I'm going to use today's vernacular because this is a common word today. Satan's fifth weapon is disinformation. That's what it is. It's another word for lie, really, but disinformation says there's other ways to be saved. Or says this, yeah, I know you have been murdering people, but you said a prayer when you were a teenager, so you're saved. You're okay. You're really, you're just misunderstood. You've been mislabeled as a murderer. That's not who you are. You're really saved. Well, that's a false sense of salvation. That's not what salvation is. The other end of the extreme is the person who says, well, I can never be saved. I had a good friend who really struggled with that. And he believed that he could lose his salvation so easily and so readily that he was convinced in his mind that if he got into a car accident and he was, he, everything was okay, but he got into a car accident and he died and he happened to be speeding. At the time he died, he was convinced he was going to hell because I was breaking the law. And it's the Lord set the government in order and the government made the law. I broke the law. I'm going to hell. And his salvation was so shaky that he was at the altar every week wanting to get saved because he never believed and could never fully comprehend it. So Paul says, put on salvation. Walk around knowing that you are saved. Have some security 
not overly secure, like I can live any way that I want to, but also not under secure that I'm going to lose my salvation, walk in the truth of what God says, that no one can pluck you from my hand. That truth, that understanding of salvation is what Paul says, I want you to walk around in. Not shaky, not uninformed, but really informed with what God's word says. Sixth weapon he uses, he says this, and he says, and take, now remember those words we've been looking at, and take the helmet of salvation, and then finally take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. A sword was both a defensive weapon and an offensive weapon. It's the only weapon that is mentioned that is offensive in nature. Everything else is purely defensive, but this one is both defensive and offensive. The sword of the spirit, the word of God. Do you know how you fight the spiritual battle? You fight it with the word of God. Jesus was led into the wilderness by the enemy. And he was tempted three times. Do you know that the same three temptations are the same three things that I looked at in 1 John? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Do you know that those same three things were the same three things that Adam and Eve were tempted with in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. How did Jesus fight the spiritual battle when Satan was bringing the temptation? Every time he answered with, the word of God says. He fought the battle with the word of God. How do you fight the battle? You fight the battle, the blows of the enemy defensively by having the word of God hidden in your heart. And then you fight it offensively going into a culture with the word of God. You know what the problem is, though? That is Satan's sixth weapon, and it is the weapon of apathy. You know what apathy means? It means indifference. Unenthusiastic, I don't really care. I have lost my passion. For some, you've lost your passion. And out of apathy... You have quit reading the word of God or out of apathy, you've never started even taking in the word of God. We need to be in the word of God every day. Whether it is the morning, whether it is in the middle of the day, whether it's in the evening, whatever is going to work for you, we've got to have the word of God being fed into our lives so that we can then pull out the word of God and fight the attacks that are coming. But when I'm apathetic... I just don't ever care. I don't get into it. I don't want to lo- learn about it. I don't want to read about it. I don't want to study it. I don't want to understand it. And when you're apathetic, you are the most vulnerable in life. So take up the sword because the sword fights the apathy that is coming your way. So here are the weapons that we have looked at. We've looked at lies, pride, discontentment, Disbelief and doubt, disinformation, apathy. Satan is out there fishing, using a bait that is unique to you. And with that lure, is throwing in all of these weapons to try to convince you that this bait is wonderful. If I don't have the word of God in me, 
if I'm not fighting the lies that are being fed to me, if I'm not fighting through the discontentment I'm feeling, if I'm not fighting through the doubt he is bringing, I'm going to bite on that lure every single time. But if I take up the word of God or the, if I take up the full armor of God, I'm not going to be prone to biting on the lure that is coming my way. Finally, Paul says this. He says, not only take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. Now he says, look, he says, pray in the spirit when at Thanksgiving, that's when you pray before the Thanksgiving meal. That's what we always do. No. He says, pray. Well, okay. A few meals a week. That's when we'll pray. No. Pray on every occasion with all kinds of prayers and requests. Prayer is how you fight the fight. You fight the fight by being in prayer on every occasion with all kinds of prayers, intercessory prayers, supplication for other people, for the needs that I have, for God's protection. How many of you go into your daily battles without actually having prayed up? Because praying is how you put on that armor. You're facing a hard thing at work. Are you praying about it? No. Okay, your marriage is falling apart. Are you praying for your marriage? No. Your family's falling apart. Are you praying for your family? No. Okay, your, your health is dwindling. Are you praying for God's protection? No. Are you praying that God would help you at least to have peace in the middle of this? No. Are you praying for other people as they're struggling and they've asked you, hey, would you please pray for me? And you say, sure, I'll pray for you. And you never, never actually do it. Pray on every occasion, on every occasion, with all kinds of prayers and all kinds of requests. So he says, that's one of the steps. You've got to be praying. Make prayer a habit. Make prayer a part of your life. Make prayer a daily prayer, part of who you are. Connect with God through prayer. And then he says, with this in mind, he says, keep alert with all perseverance. That's steadfastness and supplication. That's praying for other people, for all of the holy ones, the saints and the ketoshim. So he says two things to close it. Pray, stay alert. Stay alert. Let's go back to the hunting. You're hunting for an elk. And you've been so stealthy. I mean, you've covered yourself in elk urine. You have camouflaged yourself. You are ready to go. And you have found the perfect spot. And you know the elk are there. And you sneak up as stealthily as possible, making sure the wind is just right. And you find a spot. And you see the elk, and they're grazing, and they're not paying attention. And then you step on a twig, and it breaks. And all of a sudden, the elk's ear pops up, and it looks. Grass is hanging out of its mouth. And then it jolts, and it runs, and it's gone. And you're like, oh! And you stay Christian in the moment, and you don't say anything bad at all. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay? What happened? The elk... Though it was grazing, 
was still alert, listening, smelling, sensing, understanding, paying attention to the rest of the herd. And as soon as a sign of danger occurred, stopped and was gone. That's what staying alert is for you and I. You have a herd. They help listen for you. They help hold you accountable. You have a herd that is there to protect you. You're grazing, yes. I'm eating, God provides. But I'm alert. As soon as something is amiss, something's not quite right, pay attention. My ears are up. Lord, what is going on? Protect us. Help us. Lord, we need you. I'm going to run away from this situation because this is not good for me. The lure is there. A bottle of alcohol. Drugs. Greed. Materialism. Envy. Pride. Lies are being told. It's all right there. And you say, no, uh uh-uh. I can't go down that path. The word of God is in my heart. I'm alert. This is Satan's trap. I'm out of here. And you call the other elk. And you say, I need your help. And they say, I'll pray for you right now. And you come, or you come over and visit, and you talk, and you are there together, and there's protection, and there's safety, and there's concern. And that's, that's why Bible studies and small groups are so important to get plugged into and be a part of, so that I can pray and stay alert. You know, an elk, they'll question everything, and they'll trust nothing. And that's what we have to do. Pray. Trust nothing except for what God's word says. Lean into him and stay alert like an animal that is being hunted for. Your enemy, my enemy, is out there hunting, looking, fishing, like a roaring lion waiting to pounce in order to steal, slaughter, and destroy Would you pray with me as we close? Father God, I pray for your protection over this church. I pray for your protection over the people that are here, people that are watching and listening online. I pray, Father, that you would be there. I pray, Father, that if there are some that have been hooked, they're being reeled in, they're being thrown on the boat, ready to be filleted, that you would unhook them and set them free. You're the only one that can give us the freedom that we need. So set us free from the attacks, from the lures, the baits. Help us to build a herd around us to pray, to hide the word of God in our hearts, to put on the full armor of God every day, seeing ourselves just putting on those pieces every day, every morning as we go out and fight the battle and help us to stay alert, to stay focused on you, connected to you when the times are evil. And they are certainly evil today, Lord. I pray for your protection over these people, for this church, this community. I pray for you to work in our nation, Lord, for you to receive the glory and the praise and the honor that you are due. Father, until we meet again, go before each one, beside each one, above each one, and behind them to protect them and keep them safe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Have a wonderful week. We'll see you back next week. Thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys, and thanks for listening to this message.